I'm Kim Grenolds of Dogman.com. We are live at the University of Phoenix Stadium where Washington loses a tough one to Penn State 35-28. Uh, capacity of the uh, Phoenix Stadium here is about 72,000. Announced attendance 61,842. I think it's safe to say it was pretty much evenly split between Washington fans and Penn State fans. Um, game time, three hours and 25 minutes. It just seemed like there was a lot of TV breaks in there. Long game, but uh, tough loss for Washington. Um, they weren't completely healthy, but uh, Chase McSorley, I thought, was just easily the difference in the game, Chris. Well, yeah, I mean, we talked all week about how the comparisons to Russell Wilson, um, you know, he's had to deal with them his whole life, and now everyone can see why. I mean, when he had to throw, he was pinpoint. Uh, when they needed a third down uh, conversion, they got it almost every single time. I mean, they were 13 to 17 uh, in third down conversions, which really, which really told the story. Um, when they needed to set the tone early, that first quarter they had the ball for over 10 and a half minutes. That really set the tone. And, um, yeah, he just came up with key play after key play. And uh, Washington's defensive line, they could not get enough pressure with just three guys, four guys. So they had to bring more pressure. They couldn't spy him. And then when those kinds of things broke down, he made big plays. When you take a look, you know, and you look back at this game, it's, you know, the story of the game is just inability to stop Penn State on third down. And that's why they jumped out to the early lead. But you look at the breakdown. In the first quarter, they were 5 of 5 on third down. Yeah. In the second quarter, they were 2 of 3 on third down. In the third quarter, they were 3 of 3 on third down. And in the fourth quarter, they were 3 of 6, but they're also 1 of 1 on fourth down. So 13 of 17 on third down. So the only time they stopped them was on two turnovers and a punt. And I think that was pretty much the story of the game. Right. It, it, took, it took Washington nearly 29 minutes in that first half because Washington forced a punt with just like a minute and five seconds left in the half. Yeah. You can't go against a team like Penn State and go over 20, nearly 29 minutes without forcing a punt. I think they had, I think Washington had one three and out the entire game. Um, you just can't do that. And we all know Penn State has a very explosive offense, um, but they have gone begging sometimes. Saquon Barkley has disappeared sometimes in games. Uh, but Trace McSorley has been in the middle of it the whole time. And Chris Peterson really gave him a lot of praise for kind of stirring the drink and making things happen for them. Well, I think, you know, as, as tough as Washington time had with him, I think you have to give them a lot of credit. Um, asking your defensive backs to cover for as long as they had to, it just seems like he was able to move around in the pocket. He was incredibly elusive. I think Washington only had one sack on the day. I thought they were getting pressure at times, but, you know, he, they just couldn't get uh, to him the way he just, you know, the Paul Simon song, Slip Slip sliding away, that was Chase McSorley all day long. Well, and again, their offensive line gave him enough time to look downfield, and, you know, Deshaun Hamilton got open a couple times. Miles Bryant uh, was just a step slow on a couple couple of those touchdown throws uh, over the top, which is something that we haven't really seen a lot of either this year. Do you think it was a step slow, or do you just think they schemed that really well? I think they may have seen something. Well, I just, you know, like the first one over the top, I couldn't tell if it was kind of an out and up or just a, a, a kind of a streak route that just kind of got a little bit of width to it because he was trying to press him. He was trying to, you know, kind of get into him a little bit. And by not getting into him a little bit, he was able to get out and basically almost had like a free release. Uh, to get down the field, and, and in those situations, even the best cornerbacks are going to be behind and are going to be struggling for pace. So you can see um, it up here. Where were the safeties? 
Well, I mean, the safeties were going to have to come down because they have two very, very legitimate running threats, and Saquon Barkley, who's you know who was at the very top of the Heisman list at the beginning of the season. We all saw why with the 92-yard run, and then McSorley could could you know break a scramble at any time, and and he didn't have to go crazy. But when he when they again. You know, as I said in the beginning, when they needed a key a key play, when they needed to extend, when they needed to get a third down conversion, they got it almost every time. And whether it was McSorley with his arm or with his legs, he was able to make it happen. Yeah, and you know, Barkley had 18 carries for 137 yards. Um, you know, and with a long of 92, you take away that 92 yard. Uh, run and I thought that you know they did an okay job of keeping him in check in the run game. It was just that you know that one long run. But there again, Barkley out of the backfield, seven catches for 38 yards, and you know those chunks is what I thought really killed him at times. Well, yeah, I mean they, they, they killed him in a number of different ways. I mean they they got him with the, with the short passing game, the intermediate passing game, and then over the top. I mean, when you look at McSorley, I mean, he's he was doing it all. And, you know, he completed passes at almost an 80% level. He did have the two picks. Byron Murphy had the great pick. And then he had the tip pick with Ben Burkirvan tipped it. And uh, Austin Joyner picked it off. Um, so Washington got those those turnovers and they got the fumble. And, you know, if, if Penn State had played a, a really clean game, they could have made this thing really ugly. Um, but Washington, to their credit, really hung tough, got those key turnovers. Made things interesting all the way down to the last series. But again, when they had to make a play, Penn State always made a play. And when Washington needed a play early to get themselves going, they you know, they kind of missed the boat on our first couple sequences. And it took that trick play from Bocelli throwing it down to Will Disley to kind of really get them jump-started. It's really tough for me to see. I'm down on the, down on the sidelines. It's really tough for me to see what's going on at times, especially on the lines. Um, it looked like Penn State was really getting in after it and really controlling the line of scrimmage. Yeah, I talked to Luke Wattenberg after the game, and he just said that you know he kind of admitted that that what he saw from them defensively on that front seven was a little different, a little bit maybe more athletic, a little bit uh, I don't know nastier, but just a, a little bit different animal than what he's seen in the Pac-12 this year. Um, take that for what you will. I don't know if that means. That the talent level in the Pac-12 is down. I mean, we can look at the one in eight record right now in terms of the Pac-12 bowl records, and a lot of people are going to read an awful lot into that. But uh, you can see in the on the line of scrimmage, I think both offensively and defensively, there is no doubt that Penn State came to play in the trenches and they came to win the trenches, and I think they did pretty effectively. Yeah, and when you're you know having a good day up front in the trenches like Penn State was, uh, it didn't look like receivers were getting a whole lot of uh, separation. Um, Jake Browning looked a little indecisive at times, and you know he's not the most mobile quarterback back there, and. Dante Pettis wasn't. There's nowhere near 100. percent No, he wasn't, and and you know that's the problem. The problem is, is that when he's not, you know, when you're not 100 percent and you're not feeling great physically, sometimes that can lead to some mental breakdowns as well. And all you have to do is look at that very last play with the hook and lateral, and Pettis had it, and he could have gone out of bounds with about five, six seconds left, and they could have, you know, been able to run a hail mary or maybe even one more quick play to try to get it a little closer to Penn State's end zone. But he tried to throw it back. Clearly, he must have thought it was the last play of the game. And sometimes when you're thinking, when you're not feeling great and you're not thinking 100%, you're not completely dialed in like you'd want to be, you make sometimes those types of mistakes. And unfortunately for a guy like Dante, that's how he finishes his his UW career. And uh, it's a tough way to go because I'm not saying they would have gotten a Hail Mary and they wouldn't have been able to tie the game or anything, but you just feel bad that it kind of ends on a play like that where he, he made a great play 
and then all of a sudden it's it's a mental mistake that kind of costs you. He only had one reception for 40 yards on and out, uh, you know, and uh, but he didn't have any punt returns. Uh, like I said, he wasn't 100%. Hunter Bryant was somebody who got in the game in the first quarter. He was heavily knee braced and limping. Levon Coleman didn't look like he was anywhere near 100%. Greg Gaines banged up his knee in, in the first quarter. Um, it's a beat up team. I mean, you know, you're missing Trey, Trey Adams, who I had a chance to talk to. I'll tell you a little bit about that in a little bit. But Trey Adams, you know, was out. Chico McClatcher was out. Uh, 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 Jordan Miller was out. They missed a lot of guys, and they they didn't seem to have any playmakers on offense. Well, there's no doubt they, they were missing a lot of guys and still kept it within one touchdown, but I guarantee you if this was Penn State's podcast, they talked about all the guys that they're missing too. And, um, you know, at this point in time, when you're playing a 13th game of the season, guys are going to be – teams are going to be banged up. There's just absolutely no doubt about it. You have to get next man up. And I thought for the most part Washington did a great job of bringing next man up and trying to, to, trying to be able to make as – as uh, many places they possibly could with some of these guys that had to step up into roles that they hadn't had to step into before. But ultimately, just like it was with last year, this year you bring some of those new guys in, like a Luke Wattenberg or like a Miles Bryan is now becoming a, a major factor. And, yeah, he gets hurt a couple times on this game. But I guarantee you that's he, that's going to stick in his craw. He's way too much of a competitor to let that uh, you know kind of – linger too long for him he's going to step in and and uh he'll, he'll still be a very big part of next year for sure just looking down at the stat sheet there's just some real uh glaring discrepancy and you know if you take a look down the stat sheet and see that it's only a seven point game i think you're kind of surprised uh penn state 203 yards on the ground rushing washington with 104 and of the 104 washington had rushing 69 was on one play by miles gaskin i think the biggest statistic 342 yards uh, passing for chase mcsorley that's something i didn't expect uh, 545 total yards 545 total yards that might be the second that might be the second most since coach k has been here i know for a fact that the eastern washington game in 2014 they gave up 573 yards when vernon adams was the quarterback for eastern so i know that i'd have to go back this but it's definitely top three top five for sure another big glaring statistic i don't know if you noticed this or not offensive plays Washington only 55, Penn State was 79. Yeah. That's just a killer. And then uh, another thing, first quarter, time of possession, you mentioned it earlier, 10 minutes, 25 seconds for Penn State, 435. Uh, you know, that's when they jumped out to that big lead. And, and again, in the fourth quarter when it mattered, you know, 10 minutes and 24 seconds of uh, time of possession for Penn State and 436 for Washington. Um, that's, those are just killer numbers well, right there. And also in the first quarter, you mentioned the, the time of possession. First quarter is also when you want to establish yourself and not get too far behind. Washington could not establish the run game. Washington had minus 11 yards rushing in that first quarter. I, I mean, that's just crazy. Running down the individual statistics, Miles Gaskin, 14 carries for 98 yards with that long of 69. LeVon Coleman, nowhere near 100%, four carries for 11 yards. Andre Bichelia had a carry for nine yards. And Savon Ahmed, only one carry for one yard. Jake Browning, 18 of 28 for 175. He was sacked four times, but he was running for his life quite a bit today. Uh, leading receiver, Aaron Fuller. Really nice pass from uh, Jake Browning to uh, Aaron Fuller for a touchdown in the first quarter of 28 yards. Dante Pettis, again, glaring. One, one catch today. Uh, you know, the one uh, bright spot, 
Joe Whitford had a hell of a game punting the ball. Uh, five kicks, and he averaged 49 yards. Saquon Barkley, uh, again, you know, 18 carries for 137 yards and uh, the 92-yard run in there. Also seven receptions for 38 well, yards. And those seven receptions for 38 yards, how many of those were on the sideline where McSorley was running, dumps it off on the sideline, and he gets – you know, like a yard more than what they needed for the third down. Those passes to Saquon Barkley uh, along the sidelines, they accounted for at least three or four first downs that I can remember. Yeah, Keyshawn Bieri, a leading tackler with 11 tackles. You know, one of our favorite guys to come in here in a long time. Uh, one of the last original Sark guys, 11 tackles for Keyshawn. Byron Murphy with seven tackles. You don't like to see defensive backs leading the team in tackles or up there. JoJo McIntosh with seven tackles as well. Uh, again, the glaring number. Penn State with four sacks. Washington with only one. Uh, they also, Penn State had eight tackles for loss. Uh, Washington with four tackles for loss. But uh, uh, Chase McSorley, you know, he's just a mobile guy. Tough to get around. Very. He's very tough to get around. And again, um, in talking to some of the guys in the locker room, they, you know, Greg Gaines was very calm. He, he said, I think he kind of exceeded our expectations. And I think he's one of those kind of guys that on film, you know, he might have some lapses. He may not be a guy that maybe you can corner sometimes. But in a game situation when they have things rolling and they're running at their tempo and they're getting success on their terms, he can just kind of be the ringleader. He can be the distributor and he can do all the things that that offense wants to do. And, He's ideally suited for it. Washington did not make him pay at all. They couldn't get enough pressure with minimal guys. And when you have to add guys into the box and things like that, now all of a sudden you turn the tables in their favor. Some guys, you know, uh, wondering what the status of some of the guys coming and going. Um, Greg Gaines told me uh, that he decided a couple weeks ago uh, to return, and Coach Malloy was real happy. He also said he banged up his knee in the first quarter. Uh, his comment, and you can watch the video, sounds like Vita's gone. He says he's going to miss Vita. Uh, Miles Gaskin didn't have a chance to talk to him, but he told Adam Jude he was on the fence. Caleb McGarry hasn't opened up his draft envelope yet, his draft status, so he'll do that and look at his evaluation and make the decision. I asked JoJo McIntosh about it, and he said he was undecided. So um, I'm not sure if JoJo put in for um, uh, a request on that or not, but uh, JoJo said he was undecided as well. Is there anybody else that we was were waiting on to see if they were going? Well, it would have been Trey Adams, but Trey, I mean, he, you know, obviously getting hurt, and he talked about coming back already, so... Other than that, I can't really think of anyone else. I talked to Trey before the game, and by the way, he looks huge. How big was he when he got here? I don't know. 280, 290? No, he was over 300 pounds. I don't think, well, he looked like a basketball player. He's 340 right now. Um, and uh, he said that uh, if any of you watched the Caleb McGarry video about him uh, you know, getting the bear and wearing the coat, Trey says he's going to have to get himself a pair so they can have matching coats and wear them to the Cal game next year. Okay. <laughs> can you imagine that sight? Why the, why the Cal game of all games? Cal Bears! Oh, well, <laughs> come on. They're golden bears. They're not, they're not grizzly bears. They're not black bears. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, no. Uh, Trey Adams, uh, he's fun. So, um, yeah, just uh, you know, tough game down here in Phoenix. By the way, stadium's beautiful. Um, you know, they didn't open the... Um, 
didn't open the roof. They said something about the angle of the sun could impact the game, so they didn't open it. And you can see right now, we're up in the press box and uh, looking out to the right side. They're disassembling all the bleachers, and then they will take that whole set of bleachers out. And then I guess everything just kind of goes out on rails, so that grass field will go out. I don't know if you noticed this also. You know, people say they like to play on, uh, you know, the grass surface. That surface out there is hard as a rock. <laughs> yeah, it didn't. It didn't it's look hard. like there were guys, some guys slipping, and, and some other things going on there. I mean, it wasn't like a huge deal or anything, but yeah, I mean, it it certainly didn't look like anything where if you had just done a kind of a field turf type surface, similar type surface, it didn't look like it would handle it much differently. Yeah, you can't tell me that uh, the natural grass is a softer surface because that's that stuff's just compact. It's it's hard. I mean, it's really really hard. But uh, great showing by the Road Dogs. Like I said, you know, sixty one thousand, and I think it was. Uh, I mean, I could see everything. You couldn't, but I, I think it's fair to say that the crowd was evenly split. See, and from our, our vantage point up here, it looked like there were more Penn State yeah. people. And I talked to Monica, who was down in the down on the field taking pictures as well, and she thought it was there was more Penn State people too. Yeah, I didn't. I don't think that. it was very many more, but the, I think there was a bit of a, a preponderance because the Washington fans were really tucked here in the corner that we're in now, and they were in full force. I couldn't necessarily tell you how high they went up, whereas the rest of the entire stadium felt like it was pretty much. State, um, but I would have to say it was probably 55-45. I mean, it wasn't like a huge difference, but it was noticeable enough to me. Yeah, and uh, it's loud. I mean, this is a dome stadium, essentially, with the retractable roof. But, uh, no, the sound uh, reverberated back down. It was loud down there. It's probably as loud as uh, I can't remember. I don't think there was a game on the road that I went to this year that was louder than this. I mean, this isn't as loud as Husky Stadium when it's rocking and rolling, but it was definitely loud in here tonight. Yeah, I was going to say, when I when they converted on the third down to get near the, you know, kind of at the end of the game, when I was coming through the tunnel, there was a huge roar when they made that conversion when Penn State did, um, and it was before they kicked the field goal or missed the field goal. But, yeah, when I was coming through the tunnel, I thought something major had happened, like maybe a turnover or something, because I'm kind of looking. I'm kind of looking through to the Penn State side, and they're not really reacting much, and I'm thinking, well, it must have been a big play for Washington, and it ended up actually being a third-down conversion yeah. for Penn State. So either way, there's no doubt it was very indicative of a, a crowd that was up for it. Um, I think there was a really big spirit of camaraderie between Penn State fans and Washington fans. I think both sets of fans would love to see a non-conference game happen, a series happen at some point. I think it's something that people have wanted for both sides for a long, long time. And, you know, because it has a natural kind of Rose Bowl type matchup. I mean, it feels like a traditional Pac-12 Big Ten rivalry game, and it, it would be a it would be a fun thing to see. Would love to see that. Uh, big credit also to Penn State. Not only is it a uh, not only is this a really good football team, they're a really well coached football team. And just a little bit, I was around James, James Franklin. Really, really impressed with him and the way he's running his program. If you know, from everybody I've seen, if you're going to pick pick a coach that most resembles a program that Chris Peterson is running. I think it's James Franklin. All of his guys are bright, articulate, well-spoken, respectful. You didn't see a lot of nonsense out on the field. Um, he's motivating the guys out there. Uh, class act, great guy to talk to as well. Yeah, and to be, for the most part, I didn't see a lot of chippiness on the field, even though it was a highly competitive game, you know, a high-spirited game, a lot of big plays on both sides. I didn't see a lot of chippiness. I didn't see a lot of pushing and shoving around. I didn't see a lot of disrespect. 
Obviously, you are going to hear some, you know, there is going to be some chirping. There are going to be some guys that are going to be jawing a little bit. But for the most part, I thought it was a pretty clean game. A couple of, a couple of well-respected team acting the way they were supposed to act. Yeah. So. And I think, you know, I mean, I know McSorley got hit one time on the ground, I think, by Zeke Turner. I think Browning got hit one time when there was a, when there was a, a late hit or what have you. But for the most part, again, pretty clean game. It's football. So. Yeah. Last-minute thoughts, Chris? Uh, just that you know, finishing ten and three, it's it's not how Washington envisioned their season to go. I think they wanted to get back into the Pac-12 tournament for sure, or the Pac-12 title game for sure. Um, you know that didn't happen. So getting into a bowl game like this, where getting potentially into the top ten would have really signaled a rise up and a, a, a definite improvement over trying to play in a major, major New Year's Six bowl game and losing like they did last year in the playoff to now maybe winning a, a game like that would have signaled a step forward. But again, it just feels like they get to this point and now they're kind of stuck in neutral. And what is it going to take for them to make that next step forward? Is it just more talent? Um, is it better, you know, better skill guys, better linemen? Um, you know, again, you know, just looking at the overall record of the Pac-12, Kim, in these bowl games, it's going to be hard not to make some overreaching generalizations about the state of, of the the conference and, and where the talent's coming from and whether there's been a lull in the talent in California and other places that are predominantly the, the hunting grounds of the Pac-12 schools or do they need to start looking into some other areas. So there's going to be a lot of questions coming out of this game for sure. I guarantee you this team's going to be really, really motivated to have a great offseason. You talked to Greg Gaines. He already has a plan for, for getting bigger, faster, stronger because he didn't have the offseason he wanted to last year with a torn pack. So there are guys that are going to have a chip on their shoulder from this game, and I think they realize they had an opportunity here to, to take the next to take the next jump, and it didn't happen. Yeah, I'm not sure that you know, uh, disappointing season or not happy or not what they expected. I think the biggest thing is when you take a look at uh, last year's game against Alabama, and you looked at the health of the team, and then you look at the health of this team right now. You know, Chris Peterson said it in the post game press press conference there's a lot of luck you know and to not you know getting a lot of injuries and they've had their share this year and I think that really bit them it'll be interesting to see what Bush Hamden brings back you know and him being around Jake Browning because I don't think Jake uh, you know he regressed in a lot of different ways I thought this year I didn't think he was accurate at the end of the game you could see you know he didn't have the arm strength to get it down the field so lots of things to gnash around and you know as well as the recruiting coming in so we'll be all over that we've got another signing day coming up and and decisions looming for some guys coming back or not coming back. So still a lot of football left, even though the season is done. Yeah, and in some ways you could say that there was incremental progress made. But again, when you don't get to the playoff, it feels like it's a backward step. But you know, losing 24-7 to Alabama, now all of a sudden you lose 35-28 to a comparable team in terms of Penn State, what they were able to do offensively and defensively, the, the amount of yards they were able to put up, Kim. It feels like this is a team that could have very well easily had been a Final Four team this year. They lost their two games on the road to Michigan State and Ohio State by four total points. So, you know, as Penn State fans, I'm sure they feel pretty hard done by, especially by Washington last year, not getting into that playoff conversation. So they probably look at this as a little bit of payback. Um, so they were definitely motivated too. I will say I think Washington is in a great place. They may not have made a huge step going forward in the next year, but I think when you look at this 
team right now and where it stands and the guys that they're bringing in, the guys that they've signed for 2018, I think Washington fans should feel nothing but positive going forward. And I guarantee you that September 1st game against Auburn in Atlanta is going to be absolutely monumental for this program. And if they can take that next step, then all of a sudden things get really, really interesting. Yes, yeah, just some non-football notes before we wind it down. Big props to uh, the basketball team. Big road win last night at USC, uh, UCLA on uh, New Year's Eve down in uh, down in Los Angeles. So looking forward to that game. Had a chance to talk to Jen Cohen on a couple of things. Um, you know, some big things coming down the road, especially the next big thing I think that's coming up that's not really football-wide but athletic department-wide, um, a uh, negotiation of the apparel contract, you know, with Nike, Under Armour, Adidas all going to be vying for that. So that's going to be a really big deal coming up. Um, budget stuff coming up after the first of the year or two. Assistant coaches' salaries have gone way, way, way up. Coach Pete got a big raise, you know, and there's been reports out that Jimmy Lake signed a new contract and the hiring of a 10th coach. So lots of interesting uh, budget stuff coming up as well. So, hey, from all of us at Dogman.com, it's been a fun, fun year. And uh, again, from uh, what is it, Phoenix University Stadium? What's the name of this? University place? of Phoenix Stadium. Uh, one more thing: when you take a look at uh, the stadium here, they've got kind of like the Ring of Honor. They've got the names up here of the Cardinal football players. Yep. You know, and I talked to Jen about that. You know, how it would be cool to have more names inside the stadium. They're working, and it's a big priority for them to get more recognition of the alumni and those types of players inside the stadium. Uh, as well as heck ed. So look for some interesting stuff to come up from the athletic department as a way to honor um, those players like they plan on uh, uh, retiring Isaiah Thomas's uh, jersey. So more stuff coming up on that. So again, wild, wild, crazy year. Uh, football season is over, but our coverage isn't. So from all of us at dogman.com, Scott Eklund, Luke Munger back home. I'm Kim Grenolds along with Chris Fetters. Go dogs.